You know, you never have to worry about what the devil's doing because God got things covered. If you just give yourself to him, he'll bring you out the other side. If you'll follow him, he'll lead you out to the other side. Don't worry about the Red Sea in front of you or the mountains on each side or the enemy rising and coming close. The Lord will lead you through a place that looks impossible. And when your enemy tries to follow you, it will be his demise. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, when, uh, when, when the Lord led Israel out of Egypt, he said, don't go this way because there will be, you don't want the people to see war because then they'll be discouraged. So bring them this way. And they wound up at the Red Sea. The Pharaoh behind them, mountains on each side. And the Lord said, oy vey, what have I done? I brought them into a detour and there's no way out. <laughs> <You know. laughs> Did you ever read that in the Bible? No, no, he's never said that. He always knows exactly what he's doing. And there's always a way out. No matter what comes upon you, there's always a way out. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And you will find the way out if you will just not take God out of the equation. You may not have a way out, but God has a way out. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Happy New Year. <laughs> praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Well, wish somebody Happy New Year and you can be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Welcome back, Ray. We're glad that you're back. Back from cold country. Praise God. Well, I hope you enjoyed our open house Friday night. Uh, I know you like looking at all the villages and stuff, but I know you also like eating past the Nids food. Because that always tops everything off, doesn't it? Amen. And thanks for celebrating my birthday with me. I made another trip around the sun. Some people say when you get older, you slow down, but I have found that the trip around the sun is always the same, not any slower. Amen. Amen. So thank you for celebrating with me. Thank you for your cards, your gifts, your, your kind words, your words of encouragement. I really do appreciate that. You're a blessing, and uh, we love you guys. Amen. Amen. So it's a great, great new year. Looking forward to a good year. You know, let's not let this year be like another year, because I hear this from a lot of people. We're looking forward to 2023. Glory to God. 20, and then come to the 2024, and they're like, I'm glad 23 is done. Come on. <laughs> but we got a great New Year's surprise, and that is Wednesday night, Dr. Dennis Burke is going to be here for one service. He's coming in for one service. Praise God. Hallelujah. He's coming with a message for 2024. So start to set yourself, get yourself ready to receive what God is going to bring to us. Raise your anticipation and raise your expectation. Amen. And start now drawing on the anointing of God and be prepared for Wednesday night when he comes.
Amen? Amen. Praise God. Are you ready to get in the Word? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that we can sit at your feet and hear the word being taught by your Holy Spirit, that we can receive impartations of revelation, that that revelation, Father, is the rock that your church is built on, that the power of hell cannot stand against. I thank you, Lord, that we continue to grow in your nature, in your character, partaking of your life, developing more and conforming to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, walking more and more in a manner that is worthy and pleasing of you. We thank you for your anointing that comes on the word that removes burdens and destroys yokes. We bless you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody declared, amen, amen. Let's open up to Psalm 65 this morning. Hallelujah, verse 11, Psalm 65, verse 11. Thank you, Jesus. It says, you have crowned the year with your bounty and your paths drip with fatness. Hallelujah. Now, the first record that I have on computer of teaching this verse was in 2002. Now, I believe that I taught it before that, but... I only have on computer back to 2002, and I can't really search paper notes, you know. But I do believe that uh, it was taught before that. And, you know, I have every note from the time I first stepped into the pulpit in 1982. I have every note of everything that I've ever taught. So that's 42 years of teaching and 42 years of notes. That's a lot. Thank God for computers. Starting in 2002, it was able to be condensed. But in all those years, there's one thing that I have found, and I found this to be certain, that there's an anointing on the Word of God when you spend time with Him. There is an anointing that wants to touch you, an anointing that wants to talk to you, an anointing that wants to do things in your life when you spend time with Him in His Word. Amen? Amen. Oh, and by the way, this is January, isn't it? So that means this is the start of 40, yeah, this is the start of 43 years. Amen. Praise God. Well, I hope you got something out of those 43 years. But the anointing is always on the Word of God, and the anointing is always there for us to receive from. Always. You know, a lot of times we'll say things like, well, I got in the Word, but I didn't really get anything out of it today. Well, that's not the anointing's fault. You know, we, we could sit down and read the Word of God with our head and not get anything out of it. Isn't that right? But when we spend time in the Word of God, spend time with Him, there's an anointing that comes. And we want to revisit this place where the fatness drips. Amen. Amen. When we first got saved, and I know that many of you can relate to this. When we first got saved, or maybe you were saved, but then you first started hearing the word of faith being taught. And you got excited about it. And you couldn't get enough of the word. Isn't that right? You would come to church with expectations high, ready to receive. And we found that if we back off or back away, what was exciting becomes boring becomes dull, and it becomes dry. The Word of God seems to be empty. And we know that we need to return. But it's not an automatic. You know, when we were spiritual infants, babes in Christ, the anointing would just drop on us. Dear God, remember that? 
You know, and a lot of people want that to still happen, but you're not a babe anymore. You know, we grow in the things of God. So now, to get back to where we need to be, it's going to take purposeful discipline. It's going to take purposeful focus and commitment and faithfulness to stick with it. Amen. You know, if I leave here and I get on the interstate and go north to Miami, I'm not going north to Miami. I can go north, but I'm not going to hit Miami by going north. No matter how far I drive north, if I just stay on this road, I'm going to get there. You're not going to get there until you repent, which means turn around. You don't have to apologize to your car. I'm so sorry I brought you in the wrong direction. No, it's not apologizing. It's turning. You've got to turn around. Isn't that right? And you know, you could get on, you could be going north, and you could pass King's Highway, and you know, it's like, what, nine miles to the next exit. So you could feel discouraged over your mistake. I can't believe it. You know, got to go another nine, ten miles before I can get off, Right? You know, and you can beat yourself up over it. I can't believe, why did I do this? I can't believe I did this. I know I'm supposed to go south, but I went north. I got on the wrong exit. I can't, you beat yourself up. You can get yourself all discouraged. You can even get depressed over the fact that you went the wrong direction. But you'll never turn around until you repent. No matter how you beat yourself up, no matter how depressed you might be, no matter how discouraged you might feel, until you repent, you will not turn things around. Are you with me? Amen. And when you turn around, if you're going in the wrong direction on I-75, you got, you got to turn around, but you can't just turn around for one exit and then go back in the same direction. You know, you can't turn around at Toledo Blade, get back to King's Highway, get back on again and head back north again. Well, I turned around, but now you're still going north. You're still going in the wrong direction. So you got to stick with the turnaround until you get to your destination. And what is the destination? The place where the fatness drips. Amen. The Bible in basic English says it's the life-giving rain that's dropping from his footsteps. The life-giving rain that's dropping from his footsteps. So where do you want to walk? In his footsteps. Because that's where the rain drops. Isn't that right? Well, the word of God is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. The word of God is his steps. If we'll walk in his steps, the rain will drop on us. The New English translation says, you leave an abundance in your wake. You leave an abundance in your wake. In his path, there is abundance. Okay? And... Let me define the word abundance to you in the Hebrew. It means a saturation, an overflowing, a more than enough, a running over. In the Greek, it means over and above, more than enough, abound, exceed, overabundance. So the Greek and the Hebrew are the same. Now let me tell you something about this. It ain't money. If you think that's money, you have poverty mentality. If you think that all it is is money and I'm going to get money, you got a problem with greed. This is about life. What good is money when your life's going down the tubes? Isn't that right? You know, we need to have the God kind of life working in us 
Now, it includes money, you know, but when you zero in, if you become, like it says in Timothy, the one who's running after the money, you will pain yourself with many a sorrow. Amen. This is about running after the God kind of life. In, in the footsteps of God, his life comes in abundance. Amen. Hallelujah. Go to Ezekiel 47. <clears throat> Verses 8 and 9. This is about when, remember when Ezekiel said the man that had the line in his hand and he led him out into the waters, to the ankles, to the knees, to the loins, and then over his head, and he was in the water where it could not be forded. He couldn't walk across. Remember? Okay, well, then he goes on to say here in verse 8 and 9 of Ezekiel 47, then he said to me, these waters go out toward the eastern region and go down into the Arabah. Then they go toward the sea, being made to flow into the sea, and the waters of the sea become fresh. And it will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the water goes will live. And there will be very many fish, for these waters go, for these waters go there, and the others become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. So where the river flows, there is life. There's only one question. Are we in the river? Are we in the river or are we on the sides, on the banks, looking at the river go by? Boy, that looks like a good river. Boy, that looks like real fresh water. I bet that would be cooling, but you're on the bank. We don't want to be on the bank watching the river go by. I want to be in what God's doing. How about you? I want to be right in the middle of what God's doing. Amen. Like driving in the wrong direction, we might need to make some disciplined decisions so that this will come about in our life. This isn't going to just happen. Even just sitting here, you go, yeah, yeah, I know. I want to do that. I need to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to start doing that. But then next week you come back, you're in the same condition. This is not a soulish deal based on emotion. This is a disciplined decision that you have to make. And the reason it's a disciplined decision is because you have to make a decision, then you got to stick with it. Don't let me get on the diet thing again. <laughs> I can't wait to lose all the weight I want so I can go back and eat all the junk I always ate. Yeah. And we're all the same. We all want to do that. Some of us know we shouldn't do that. Some of us can't wait to do that. But the disciplined decision will stick with what it needs to do. Amen. So it's going to take some disciplined decisions that we have to make to revisit the place of fatness, abundance, where the river of life flows. And what does it mean to revisit? It means to remember. It means to remember. There's things we have to remember and stir back up on the inside of us. Yes. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to all the new stuff that's coming out. Yeah. 
for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to all the new doctrines that are hitting the airwaves. No, we must pay much closer attention to what? What you have heard. There's enough that you've heard over the years that will keep you busy for a long time paying attention to them. Why do we have to pay attention, not just pay attention, but closer attention? In other words, you heard it already, you attended to it, but now you have to pay much closer attention to what you've heard. So that, in order that, for this reason, that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will, for he did not subject to angels the, the world to come. Okay? Okay, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. So, I'm, there we go. Let's go back to verse 1 again. Let's start over. Verse 1 through 4. For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, then how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was at the first spoken through the Lord and it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So the word of the Lord is greater than that of angels. It is, carries more authority than the word spoken by angels. And God himself testified of what was said by signs and wonders and miracles. Well, what about when you started hearing the word of God? You got involved in the word of faith, remember? You were a baby. I mean, my goodness, we were sucking at the spiritual bottle. You all remember that? And God was testifying and showing that what the word was being preached was the absolute truth because he was testifying by signs, wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. He was confirming the truth of the word of God that was being preached to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, some people say, after being saved and 30 years or so, well, how come God still don't do that? Because you're beyond the years to where you ought to be teachers of the word. You should be out there teaching the word and getting with people and that the word that you share is now confirmed through you by the Lord with signs, wonders, and miracles. That's the way it's supposed to be happening. See, what happens is, is that you go to the buffet and you suck up everything that's available. And next week or the next day, you go back to the buffet and suck up everything that they provided for you. And the next day you go back again and you're eating at the buffet over and over and over again, but you're not exercising. You're not doing anything. You're just eating. And what's going to happen to you? Never mind. But this is what happens in, this, in the Christian world is we want to get, 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 but we're not giving and we're not doing and we're not being a blessing to others. 
and we're not sharing. The Bible says that you ought to be workers of the word, but you have need to be taught again. And we have not paid close attention to the things we've already heard. This is why we always need to hear more. And understand the need to come together and hear the word of God. But the whole idea is to be able to go out and do. He's given us ministry gifts so that we can go do the work of service and build up the body. That's the purpose of it. It's not so you can get a new car, although new cars are great. It's not so that you can get a new house, although new houses are great. It's not so that you can get this, get that, and just fill up everything in your life with stuff and be like the fool that said, oh, I've got all this stuff. What am I going to do now? I've got to build bigger bonds. <clears throat> Don't shout me down. It's not about getting. It's about receiving in order to give. Freely you receive, so freely you get more. No, you give. Freely I receive, so freely I give. See, that's what the mature Christian does. Amen. Because the river of God is in you, and it wants to flow and bring life. Amen. So he says that we should not neglect, I think it is verse 3, do not neglect so great a salvation. Isn't that right? Now he's speaking to who? Believers or unbelievers? He's speaking to believers. So if he was speaking to unbelievers, he would say, do not reject so great a salvation. But he's talking to those that have received salvation, and now he's telling them, don't neglect your salvation. It's a great, it's a great salvation. Now, the principle is true for the unsaved, don't reject it. But when you're saved, don't neglect it. Amen. Because that's the danger. And this is what the devil does. He wants to lull you to sleep, lullaby you, make you feel good, and give you all the proper sense to pass you out. You know, oh, that scent is just so good. Just, eh, just want to. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to fill your life with all kinds of stuff to, just to lull you to sleep. Amen. Don't neglect so great a salvation. So who is he writing here to? He's writing to the Hebrew believers that neglected an abiding walk with Jesus. When you neglect an abiding walk with Jesus, you are neglecting a great salvation. Not just a salvation, but a great salvation. When you consider something great, you will naturally pay attention to it. You consider your, your spouse great, you will pay attention to them. Okay, I got a couple of, uh-huh. <clears throat> Whatever it is that we consider great, we will pay attention to it and not neglect it. If we do not consider something great, then we leave it to convenience rather than to commitment. I don't love my wife just when it's convenient. And I'm not going to do for her just when it's convenient. I do a lot for her when it's inconvenient. 
because she's more important than me. See, I found that verse a long time ago. Years ago, I found that verse when it says that you should consider others over yourself. Well, when I read that verse and I got a hold of that, I understood if it don't start at home in my marriage, where is it ever going to start? Am I supposed to neglect my wife but then consider everybody else that I run into as more important than myself? If this doesn't start with my wife, where's it going to start? And there's a lot of times that she'll ask me to do something or say, and it's like, mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, why? Because I know that's what she wants, and I'll do it for her because I'll consider what she wants more than what I might want. Amen. And some, you know, you talk to some guys and they're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm more macho than that. You know what that is, right? That's the big M for the Greek word moronia, which is defined as thou fool. You know, there was nobody on earth more macho than Jesus. They come to arrest him in the garden. If you came to arrest me, are you Jesus of Nazareth? I am, bam, the whole squadron bits the dust. You boys want to get up and arrest me now? Rambo can't do that. Schwarzenegger won't do that. Stallone can't do that. If it's not in the script, they're in big trouble. <laughs> Are you with me? You need to redefine your idea of macho. Amen. <clears throat> so a reason that many neglect their salvation is because they never see it as salvation. Why? Because many people receive salvation as receiving something. They don't understand it as having been rescued from something. That you were rescued from hell. You know, it's like Somebody throws you out of an airplane and you don't have a parachute on. But somebody has a parachute on and they do the dive and they come down and they grab you and they hold on to you and you go down to the ground with their parachute and they have saved you. It's not just you've received a little help. You got saved from sudden death. And that, that understanding gives you an eternity of gratitude. Rather than just, uh, oh, yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Amen. And that's what salvation is. We've been rescued from something. And if we understand that, we will not neglect our salvation because of our great gratitude towards God. Look in Luke chapter 7. Luke 7, verse 47. Don't you love the word of God? Luke 7, 47. <clears throat> for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Okay? There's a very, very important concept here. Now, first of all, she was not forgiven because of her love. 
her great love was evidence that she had been forgiven and she had received that forgiveness. Well, how much have you been forgiven? So we look at things and we go, well, you know, I didn't do as many bad things as you did. And then we go down that whole dumb road. Because here's the deal. One sin. One sin was enough to send you to hell. One. So let's stop with the dumb stuff of trying to compare. Well, I did this. Oh, I did even worse than that. Oh, but you don't know what I did. Who really gives a rip what you did? That's ridiculous. But again, that's, that's the, that, that is the concept of man. Because man thinks there's big sin, there's little sin, there's big prayer, there's little prayer, there's, there's big giving, there's little giving. <clears throat> the woman with the two mites gave more than all the others. Because Jesus don't look at what you give, he looks at your heart in giving. And he looks at the heart in everything. If you have committed one sin, you're on your way to hell and you needed salvation through the blood of Jesus. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isn't that right? So it's not the number of sins or the degree of sin as man counts it, but it's the forgiveness of any sin. And that is love. And when I understand I have been forgiven from an eternity in hell, then I have been forgiven much. Isn't that right? Amen. And what does love do? Love has action, doesn't it? Love don't just talk. Oh, I love you. I love Love has actions. And it gives, it gives to the one that is loved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. God loved, God gave, he gave eternal life. The one that has received, has received and loves God back by giving his life that is eternal back to God. My life is yours. My life is yours. That's love back to God. Love is not, oh, I love you, let's sing some songs. No, love is, I, you have given me eternal life and I'm giving that life back to you. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to say, however you want me to, whatever, I give it back to you. Because without you, I'm on my way to hell. And without you, I might have wound up there a long time ago. Are you with me? See, that's love. Love gives back. All manner of servitude to God. Not just when it's convenient, but it's a commitment because we don't neglect so great a salvation. Amen. Let's back up to verse 48 and then 50. 48 and then 50. So he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So the key to her receiving forgiveness was her faith. Isn't that right? Faith in what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Your sins have been forgiven. Okay. So how was her faith or her love shown to Jesus? Well, when he came in the house, she kissed him, welcomed him with a kiss. With her tears and her hair, she washed his feet. She continued to kiss his feet. Isn't that right? Okay. Of course, she understood great forgiveness. And great salvation should cause us to love 
and to do things by faith. Why do you do things in faith? Because faith is a result of having come to know God. Amen. Amen. And that love and faith has actions being demonstrated. This woman had signs of affection of love. By kissing him, when he greeted him, washed his feet, kissed his feet. These are signs of affection of love. We are not having a foot kissing ceremony. Thank you, Jesus. But go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, because affection is always a sign of love, isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 in the Amplified Bible. It says, but on the contrary, as the scripture says, what eye has not seen and ear has not heard and has not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared, made and keeps ready for those who love him, who, who hold him in affectionate reverence, promptly obeying him and gratefully recognizing the benefits that he has bestowed. Things that eye has not seen and ear has not heard, what God has prepared for man. Who? Those who hold him in affectionate reverence, promptly obeying him and gratefully recognizing the benefits he has bestowed. Affectionate reverence will promptly obey. Affectionate reverence. Amen. Promptly obey without reasoning against it without trying to justify our own position on why we don't need to do that. Just like when you hear the word repent, you go, I don't need to repent. Of course you do. Of course you do. Everybody needs to. We're on a continual turn. John the Baptist said, keep with repentance until the bearing of fruit. This is not a little apologize, I'm sorry. You know, it's like you wake up in the morning, you got a really bad hangover. I'll never drink again until nighttime comes and you're back at it. Okay, maybe that was a past life. I hope that was a past life and not now. But if it is or when it was, you understand what I'm saying. But that's how we treat God a lot. We promptly obey God because we have an affectionate reverence for him. We don't reason against what he said. We don't argue against the truth because we want what we want. There was a famous expression. I haven't heard it in a long time, but I used to hear it all the time. Well, I don't think God would mind if I... Really? Did you ask him? Did you sit before him until you heard an answer? Or do you just want what you want? Well, I don't think God would mind. Why don't you think that? Because that's what you want. And you certainly don't mind it. I've heard people say this to me too. Well, God hasn't told me anything, so I think he's just leaving it up to me. No, no, you just haven't heard anything. That's the bottom line. You just didn't hear anything. And you need to get in position to hear. If he's going to leave it up to you, he'll tell you. That's like the people that say, well, you know, I, I went and did this and it was a bad thing that I did and I shouldn't have really done it. But if I wasn't supposed to do it, God would have stopped me. 
Come on. And we come up with all of this stuff. <laughs> Affectionate reverence promptly obeys God and has gratitude for his great benefits. Gratitude. Amen. You know, we have to treat God the right way. Go to chapter 8, verse 3 in the Amplified Bible. 1 Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 3. It says, but if one loves God truly, truly, that's a very important word, truly, because there's a lot of people that love God, but they don't love God truly. But if one loves God truly with affectionate reverence, prompt obedience, and grateful recognition of his blessings. Now you understand what it means to love God. This is not just, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I just go do what I want to do. No, love God means I have affectionate reverence, prompt obedience, and grateful recognition of his blessing. And, he, and this person is known by God, recognized as worthy of his intimacy and love, and he is owned by him. The one that truly loves God is owned by God. You know, I own my car. And my car is going to do what I want it to do. Because I own it. You're not going to get in my car and do what you want to do with it. No, it's my car. You understand? Well, God's my God and I am owned by him. So that means he's going to rule and reign and direct and lead in what needs to be done. So if one loves God, truly with affectionate reverence, prompt obedience, and grateful recognition of his blessing. Well, this is love that goes beyond just words. Oh, I love you, God, I love you. Oh, I love you, I love you. No, this goes beyond words. Reverence, obedience, and gratitude. When I was a kid, I was brought up in church, and uh, some of the men that worked in the church, they would work the services and all that stuff, Okay, and the church was very reverential and very quiet. You weren't supposed to talk, you know, barely a whisper. And then after the service was over, those men would go down to the bar and drink. They would have dances, bring your own bottle, dances. You know, that was uh, alcohol, not iced tea. Now, I'm not saying everybody in the church was like that. There was a couple that wasn't, but you know. <laughs> But the whole point is reverence and obedience and gratitude towards God is to be in our life, not in a room. Now, it is in a room. You know, we worship God, we honor God, you know, and, and, and we will behave correctly in the sanctuary. But it's not about being in the room only. It's about our life. Isn't that right? That's where reverence belongs. What good is it to be in a, in a room and you're like, oh, don't say anything. We've got to be quiet. But then you walk out the door and your life is like, oh. Can't tell the difference between walking with God and walking with the devil. What good is that? You understand what I'm saying? See, that's the point I'm trying to make. Reverence is about being in life. Reverence in life. And the greatest place to be reverent to God is when nobody's looking. Yeah. That's right. 
I remember a story of Bobby Andean, pastor, was a pastor in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma for a number of years. Uh, I think it was Victory Church. No, it wasn't Victory. It was... Uh, it, what, what was it? Was it Christian Center? Bobby Andean? So him and his wife went on vacation one year, and he went to Maui. I think it was Maui. No, it was one of the small islands, and he was on the back end of the island. And when they're there, they run into somebody from their church. And after they greeted them and everything and all, Pastor Bob looked at his wife and said, good thing we weren't sinning. <laughs> Reverencing God even when nobody's around. Amen? Amen. And then he goes on to say that this kind of person is known by God and recognized by God as being worthy of his intimacy and love. In other words, God will come and spend time with you, that he'll love on you, not just generally loves you, but he'll love on you, be intimate with you, because that person is recognized as worthy. Now, let me ask you this. Did God choose this person to be worthy? No. They chose themselves to be worthy by their lifestyle. Amen. Just like it talks about there's many that are called, but a few are chosen. Well, are these all that are called and then God chose a few? No. The called has to live a certain lifestyle to become the chosen. And the wedding feast was proof of that. The person that went into the wedding feast without wedding clothes, they said, you have proven yourself to not be worthy. See, you prove yourself. Called, many called, but only a few, or not a few, but, you know, only some are chosen because they've chosen to live the lifestyle. Just like there are many, many believers on the face of the earth, not many, many disciples. Major difference between a believer and a disciple all the believers are saved, but they don't all live the way they should, neither do they all follow the Lord as a disciple. A disciple is a follower, a learned one. Amen? Are you with me? So this person is considered worthy because of the way that they have lived, the way that they have affectionately reverenced God, promptly obeys him, and are so grateful for all of his blessings. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 1. See, that's a lifestyle of true love. And that's why it says, those that love God truly. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9. says, Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Well, 42 years ago, the Lord spoke that to me. I put my words in your mouth. But then I found it in Jeremiah. And that's part of my calling and my salvation. And I go back and revisit that every so often. Because I don't want to neglect what he said. I don't want to neglect what he wants me to do. I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what he wants me to do. I don't want to be arrogant and think that whatever I'm doing, 
the things that I'm doing, that I'm doing them on my own. I'm only doing it because he spoke that to me. You understand? He said to me, as long as I speak his words, they will go out in power and anointing and have the same effect in people's lives as the laying out of hands. <clears throat> Do you know why most of the time it doesn't go out in power and have the same effect as the laying out of hands? Because most Christians are in a habit. They're in a habit that they have to have hands laid on them for anything to work. And that's not true. That's only one way for things to happen. I've had many times to where there was, and the Lord said, you know, have ministry and call people up and don't even touch them. Just talk to them. Just talk. And the ability or the, 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 the uh, not the ability, but the opportunity to receive of the anointing just by speaking, nobody would receive until a hand touched them. Well, that's a habit. You're in a habit. You're not receiving from the anointing. You're just in a habit. And there's a lot of habits that's been created in the body. I understand the laying on of hands, but I also understand other things. You can get healed by a prayer of agreement. You can get healed by committing yourself to the Lord, a prayer of faith. There's all different ways of receiving from the Lord. You know, I see people doing casting out demons services and they were all laying hands on these people to cast demons. But I never saw Jesus lay a hand on a person to cast a demon out of him. He spoke to him and said, hit the road, Jack. You know. <laughs> Are you with me? We don't want to develop habits. Amen. So he said, as long as I speak his words, they'll go out in power and anointing. And I've given affectionate reverence to what he has said. I do the best that I can to obey him and to follow him. And I'm grateful to his Holy Spirit because he's the one that's going to accomplish it. I'm not, it's not because of I got some great words. You know me. I've got trouble speaking English. You know, so it's not, you know, I have to turn my book over to somebody to go, you know, read this before I turn it in to be printed because they got to do all the grammar correcting. Yeah, yeah. I burn up spell check, I just tell you that. <laughs> Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, and then 24 through 26. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21, then 24 through 26. Now in a large house... There are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanse himself from these things, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. As the foundation of the ministry God's given to me, this was the scripture that he gave me. 
He has set me in service for him. Okay? And this was the verse that he founded the ministry on. And I realized that my job is to speak the word of God. That is my job. But I also understood then that the people's job is to catch what's being declared. Amen. Because only if it's caught, and being caught is going to be free will. But only by catching it can there be an escape from bondage. That they would escape from the snare of the devil. That's bondage. Okay? And what's the greatest bondage in our life? Now, some people would say, well, it's this addiction, or it's that addiction, or it's this sin, or it's that sin. But what is the greatest bondage in our life? <clears throat> it's our soul. It's our thinking. Our thinking is the biggest bondage that we have. Wrong thinking. And yet, the reason it's the biggest bondage is because there's not a person in here that would ever say, I'm thinking wrong. You wouldn't. Because if I think it, it's got to be right. I'm thinking it. Now, you don't think what I think. You're wrong. I'm right. That's just the way we are as human beings. If I'm thinking it, it's got to be right. Otherwise, I wouldn't be thinking. I wouldn't think wrong things. But yet, when we put our thinking up to the Word of God, if we're honest, we'll see we think wrong. And it's that thinking that keeps us bound. It's the wrong thinking that binds up what God's put on the inside and it can't come out because the thinking is blocking it. There's a good book out there called Building the Bridge of the Soul. I know that's a shameless, uh, you know, advertisement, but it's out there. Amen. Snare in our soul is the greatest snare in our life. You can change around your thinking, you can change around any issue. Amen. Wrong thinking keeps us from being that vessel of gold and silver. So the Lord gave this to me as the foundation for the ministry. And I've given reverence to what he said. I work at being obedient to what he said. I have gratitude for what he desires to accomplish. So you have to understand that if the word of God is being spoken out or any direction is given, for instance, in the church, if you don't want to follow that, that's up to you. You're going to reap the results of it. It's not up to me to make you. That is not my job. But you will reap the results of not paying attention and not giving yourself to what was said. Even in the little things. I'm not talking about big, major, doctrinal. I'm talking about little things. It's important. You know, when Jesus needed correction of the people in the churches of Revelation, who did he go to? He went to the pastor. And the pastor was then to share and bring this all out. You know, do you think the pastor stood up there and go, uh, oh, listen, guys, you know, this isn't my idea. But the Lord said, you know, you need to work on this. Now, there's a lot of people on staff and church that do things like that. That would be like Pastor Morgan going to people in his department and going, you know, I don't really want to do this, but this is what the pastor wants you to do. That's division. 
That's strife. That's disunity. That's a problem. That will shut down the anointing of God and the move of the Spirit. Are you with me? Amen. So this verse in Jeremiah 1 is what the Lord had spoken to me, and it was greater than the words of angels. It was more authoritative than the word of an angel. I'm grateful for a great salvation. I gladly receive what the Lord gives to me to do, and I will not neglect it. Amen. And in order to walk in his path, because that's his path that he set for me, and in order to walk in that path, it's going to take faith. Amen. So like the woman who had faith to receive her forgiveness, she loved much. Well, in order for me or for you to walk in what the Lord has declared to us, what he's required of us, you understand the Lord requires of you. You, you are owned by him. He paid for you. He has requirements. This is not just, oh, glory to God, I'm saved. Now I can just go live how I want to live and just do what I want. And I'll just be nice to everybody and whatever, you know, and I'll just, I'll just live the Christian life. No, God requires things of you. Amen. You know, like we talk about serving God. Well, when you talk about serving God, you know, people are going to think about evangelism, street ministry, uh, fivefold ministry, uh, ministry of helps, you know, serving, serving, serving. <clears throat> one of the greatest ways you can serve God is change your thinking. Get your life straightened out. Amen. Hallelujah. Only through faith can we attach to his all-sufficiency of grace in order to accomplish his will. Amen. He's the class things. He requires things. And those things are on the path of where the dripping takes place. And it will require faith. Amen. Romans 1.17. Everybody still good? All right. Romans 1.17. Actually, you know exactly what this says, that in the word of God, there is revealed the righteousness of God. And it says that the righteous man shall live by faith. So if we are to live by faith, OK, and we know that we need faith for everything in life. Is that right? All right. So let me ask you a question. How much faith does it take to meet your needs? How much faith does it take to accomplish the will of God in our life? Let me ask you another question. What was the biggest miracle you've ever received in life? What is it? Salvation. The greatest miracle that you could ever receive in life was salvation. Isn't that right? You'll never receive another miracle as great as salvation. Salvation was... Amazing, phenomenal, astronomical. And yet, how much faith did you use to believe in Jesus? 
But yet the little faith that you used translated you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Translated you and made you a child of the Most High God. Delivered you out of spiritual death and brought you into eternal, into eternal life. Passed you out of judgment with that little bit of faith. In fact, it was the faith that you really didn't know anything about. See, but now you've gotten smart. What you did in receiving Jesus into your life just seemed like a normal operation. I just receive, I believe, I receive him into my life. You know, when, when I got saved and, you know, somebody was sharing the word of God with me for, for quite some time. Uh, you know, I wasn't an easy case. It took a lot of sharing the word of God with me. And, huh? <laughs> and uh, even though he was sharing all that, I, I wasn't really, you know, taking it. I was listening to him. But I wasn't taking it as far as, yeah, I believe that, I believe that. No, not, not, nothing at all. I thought, well, this is pretty interesting. And then the day came, and it was a, it was a bad day. Um, but I had to make a decision on that day. And on that day, I made a decision and said, okay, God, you know, I says, I just need you to move in here. I, I, I need you to do something. I, I just can't do it anymore. And by the end of the day, God moved with signs, wonders, and miracles and straightened things out. And it was like, oh, my goodness. And yet it was like little faith, little faith. And um, I made a decision on that day, and I said, God, I have served the devil with 100% of my life. I said, from now on, that's the minimum that I will give you. Amen. Because it was so good to be free from the clutches of hell. Amen. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. But it didn't take a whole lot of faith. It just took a, I believe that. You know. And I remember sitting there in that restaurant with my eyes like wide open going, I said, God, now I know that you love me. And Jesus, now I know that you are alive. And my life's never been the same since that moment. Glory to God. Well, if you go to Romans 8.32, you will see here that it says that he has freely given us his son, Jesus Christ. And in him, he freely gives us all things. Isn't that right? So any of those all things that you need in your life, it is all eclipsed by your deliverance at salvation. There is nothing you need in life greater than your salvation. Every other miracle that you need in life from the day you got saved, every miracle is temporary. Every one of them. They're all temporal. Healing, temporal. Deliverance, temporal. Being raised from the dead, temporal. Why? Because they're all going to last until the day you finally walk through physical death. They're temporal, but salvation is never ending. It's eternal. Isn't that right? Amen. And this is why when somebody gets saved, the angels rejoice. 
They don't rejoice when you get healed. They don't rejoice when you get delivered. It's salvation because that's the eternal part. The greatest thing that you could ever experience in life is salvation. And the angels rejoice in that. They are pulled out of hell and we have another one coming into the kingdom. Glory to God. Nothing will ever compare to the power that was demonstrated by God when he removed you from Satan's family and made you his own child. Nothing compares with that. So why do we need more faith to receive a lesser miracle? You don't need more faith. What do you need? Right up there. The bondage of your thinking. That's the problem. The bondage of your thinking. Do you need a mountain of faith to be healed? Do you need a mountain of faith to be delivered from oppression? Well, how many times have you ever told people when they had a problem receiving from God or something, you said, well, you just don't have enough faith. You ever tell that to people? Has anybody ever told that to you? You just don't have enough faith. You need more faith. I guess I didn't, you even said it to yourself, I guess I didn't have enough faith to receive from God. And we spend time trying to build up our faith when that isn't the answer at all. This is why we revisit. Matthew 17, 20, and I'm just going to start on this, but we're going to continue on down this road through the weeks to come. Matthew 17, 20. He said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly, I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, he starts off by saying, because of the littleness of your faith, but then he said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed that there is. So we're not in need of more faith we're in need of liberating the faith that is on the inside of us. Don't neglect the things you have already heard. And liberate the faith that's already in you. You know, we talk about foreign countries all the time. You know, evangelistic meetings over there, right? And we see people there, people over there, they're receiving Jesus. And immediately you see they're being healed of incurable diseases, that they're receiving their eyesight, their hearing, having missing limbs being restored. Many people are healed all the time of, uh, of uh, uh, incurable diseases, and then they get saved. These people haven't had time to build faith. The man on the cross next to Jesus. He didn't have time to build faith. The little faith that these folks have is just very simply unhindered. It's unhindered. It's not hindered by their logic. It's not hindered with their reasoning. It's not, it's not hindered by figuring it out. It's not hindered by trying to get all your ducks in a row. Just believe it. Look at the Amplified Bible at verse 20. 
And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, that is, your lack of firmly relying trust. That's the problem. Lack of firm reliance and trust. For many people, faith means very simply, yeah, I believe that, so give it to me. Which really means that's what I want. But that is not faith. Faith is not what you want. In fact, the Bible is filled with things that everybody wants. Everybody wants what's in the Bible. Huh? All the promises of God, all the blessings, everybody wants them. Even the unsaved wants it. But the problem is a firm reliance and trust. What is faith? It's a reliance by inward certainty. I know that I know that I know. Despite the outward circumstances, I know that I know that I know. I'm believing God. And the circumstances get worse. I know that I know. But the circumstances get really bad. But I know that I know. Oh, but you don't know my circumstance. Fooey. That's nonsense. You have just reasoned away why the blessing of God and the promise of God don't work for you. And now you need a special redeemer to bring a special answer for your special situation. And there isn't any. Jesus has already been freely given and in him all things have been freely given. Don't tell me about your special situation. Because the Bible says you don't deal with nothing that isn't common to everybody. And Jesus has already provided the answer for it all. Amen. So why little faith? Why is it little faith? Little faith is very simply. I received the word with a joy of having what I wanted. Oh, I see, the, I see that, what the Word of God says, and that's what I want. I need that, and I receive that with great joy. Huh? But it's shallow, temporal. It's of the soul. It's of the emotion. It's the parable of the sower, the second person. Sown upon the rocks. And it has no soil. And therefore, it's not faith to the finish. What's the purpose of repenting on I-75 to get to Miami? To reach your destination, to stay on the road till you get to your destination. The same thing with the word of God. Faith to the finish. The Apostle Paul said it this way. I've run the race. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. Jesus said, nobody takes my life unless I give it up. And when I give it up, it'll be time. Faith to the finish. You were saved with mustard seed faith. You should live by the same mustard seed faith. Many people are discouraged because they get into works. And they're trying to work it and make it happen. When what is the work of God? It tells you right there on the back wall. What is the work of God? To believe. That's the work. To believe. And because of people being discouraged because of works, they wind up neglecting. 
but it's time to revisit the faith that will cause the fatness to fall on us from the path of the Lord so that it will drip on us. Amen. Just bow your head. If you're on live stream, podcast, just bow your head right there and let's just declare some things. Let's just say this together. Holy Spirit, help me to hear. Help me to catch truth in my heart. Holy Spirit, my heart is crying. I'm in desperate need of you. I repent of going in the wrong direction. And like the deer, I pant after you. Show me how to walk in affectionate reverence to develop a life of love, a life of faith that I can walk on your path and the abundance can drip on me. The increase of your life, the all-sufficiency of you pouring out and dripping on me. Holy Spirit, I set myself today. Help me that I may grow. Now just take a moment because that's going to have to be a disciplined decision. If you feel that you have the grace to step into that, just tell the Lord, I'm ready to step into it. I'm ready to go forward. I'm ready to move on from where I'm at. I'm ready to do the turnaround. Amen. Amen, amen. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, for what you've deposited into our heart. Thank you, Father, that your word does not return to you void. But we take this word to us, Father. We set it into our heart. We put it into our mouth. We, we let it be the, the, the direction and the instruction for our choices and our decisions. Holy Spirit, you are the one that guides us in all the truth. Guide us in the truth that we have heard today, that we may walk in the purposes of our Father. Lord, that we would fulfill your will on this earth. We came to this earth with purpose. Help us to fulfill that purpose. I set myself to know and hear from heaven that I would know my place, my part in what it is that needs to be done. Father, I thank you that you're more than enough. Your grace is more than enough. Your anointing is more than enough. Your word is more than enough. You are all that I need for these things to come about and come to pass. I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God, glory to God. I want to remind you about Wednesday. Dr. Dennis Burke will be here. Glory to God. Amen. 2024 is just getting started. And we're excited about the word that he's going to bring. Are you? Amen. So start setting yourself to receive from the word of God and raise up your anticipation level and your expectation and start today drawing on the anointing of God. How do you draw on the anointing of God? It's by being God inside minded. God lives on the inside of you. Start setting yourself and focus on the Holy Spirit in you. 
and set yourself to receive from God. And you'll come in Wednesday ready to receive. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time together in your word. Thank you, Father, for all that you are and all that you do, all that you have shared and deposited in us today, that we will ne not neglect these things, but we will take hold of them and we will have them to grow and produce fruit after its own kind into our life. Father, I thank you that as we come before you with our giving, that it is a great opportunity to bring in our tithe, to bring in our seed, to bring in our first fruit so that we can give into the storehouse, give into your kingdom, that we take a part of the substance of our life and give it to you in honor, in reverence, and in worship to you. And Father, I thank you that you receive even that which we bring to you. In all of your goodness and all that you are, that you would receive it from us. We know that you don't need it, but what you need is our heart that is attached to you so that you can move in our life. We thank you and bless you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. If you joined us on live stream or on podcast, thanks so much for being with us today. And if you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, go to newlifefamilyworship.net and click on the giving link. If there's anything we can pray with you about, please let us know. And I do pray that the Word of God has really touched you and affected you right where you're at today and that the Spirit of God was able to speak to you and bring things up on the inside of you because change is on the horizon and every change means increase is on its way. So be blessed in the Lord and Happy New Year to you all.